Welcome to Factum Audio, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. Last week, I caught up with Ag Research Scientist Dr Scott Knowles, who is part of a research programme New Zealand scientists are conducting to explore the differences between pasture-raised beef and lamb versus grain-fed beef and lamb and indeed looking at alternative proteins. This week is the second part of this interview. We get straight into it and Scott starts by giving me some insight into the different effects and qualities that pasture-raised beef has compared to grain-fed. Let's take a listen. With those specific cuts, um, grain-fed versus grass-fed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we've, um, I hate to back up, but I should say on... Uh, this program is called Pasture Raised Advantage mm. rather than grass. And so okay. you and, and farmers will, and me, uses the shorthand of grass. But we yep. all know that if you look at across a paddock, it's pasture. And yep. that's a mix of forages and the rest of it. And of so course. we got to be really persnickety about that and force the program to be called Pasture Raised, not Grass Raised. Yep. Um, and so I, the Pasture Raised ones have this advantage of um, leaf oils. Out there in the grass, they're eating lots of the green part and very little seed. And the difference in a plant between leaf and seed is leaf oils tend to be more unsaturated, longer and more unsaturated, than seed oils, which tend to be shorter and more saturated. Um, so when you're eating a lot of grass, that means you get a, you have an intake of a lot of things um, like linolenic acid. I don't know. It's a it's a unsaturated long chain one um, and long chain omega-3s and that then distributes into the meat so a, a signature of pasture raised meats uh, is these long chain omega-3 fatty acids and those are generally beneficial for health that's why so many people take supplements for fish oils and the rest so you can actually pick that up in the lab? Absolutely. Yep. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm. Because they, in, in a grain finished, not only are they eating less grass, and so less of these leaf oils, but they're eating a lot of grains, which are a seed, and so seed oils um, are like soybeans or um, wheat or, uh, or canolas are rich in a different kinds of fatty acids. And so those just distribute into the meat and give it a different characteristic. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we saw that clearly that the, the pasture raise also tends to have less total saturated fatty acids. Okay. And as I say, more of the long chain omega-3 desirable fatty acids. That's fascinating. Mm. Um, so it's amazing that, that, some, that you are what you eat, even if you're a cattle beast. Yeah. And, and <laughs> of course, when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. It is. We, we do have to be a little careful that... Uh, that not everything is a direct correlation between input and outcome mm. on it. So you can't, um, ah, you can't feed, uh, we know because we did this, you can't feed a lamb a lot of mint and expect the lamb meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I yeah. kid you not, there was a study, uh, we did a 28, years ago and it was six different kinds of herbs of which mint was one of them yeah. to see well what did it do and yeah. not not too surprisingly that the rumen that in these animals is a busy place and it takes those 
delightful compounds that you mm. have in garlic and in mint and mm. things and chews the heck out of them. And most of them turn into something else. And then that is what gets deposited in the meat. And so it, it, the meat ends up with a different flavor, but not what you were expecting. Yeah, that's really interesting. What a <laughs> hard case study. Um, imagine the outcomes if we could have mint-flavored lamb. That would be quite exactly. That that it it was such a great idea that it just had to be tried. Yeah. So. <laughs> now, what about plant-based alternatives? What has the research found so far when compared with pasture-fed proteins and indeed grain-fed proteins? Fair enough. The um. There's a there's a huge range of them out there. First off, so it um, it's it's easy to talk about beef because more or less a beef is is from a bovis animal and yep. you have what you have. Um, there's a huge number of these alternatives that are coming onto the market, but uh, some have been around for millennia. If you if you think tofu, that's been a meat yep. alternative for thousands of years, mm. um, and so. You have to, I have to be a little careful, anybody does, when making general comments about them because the compositions differ hugely from brand to brand. They are, all of them are, the modern ones are food technology product, the products of, of advanced food technology in which a lot of ingredients are chosen and processed and put together in order to make um, an interesting and palatable product. Um, we, I don't, I don't want to name names at this point until our reports come out, but we mm. chose a particular one that is available commercially around New Zealand because mm -hmm. we wanted it to be relevant for our consumers mm. um, and is on the international markets. And so it's a, it's a good exemplar, but it's not the only one. And what, what you first see in any of these alternatives is the um, flip them over and you see the ingredients list. And in this one, um, I know because I counted it just this morning, 19 ingredients. Right. This is a this is a high quality product, and it's expensive. It is mm. about a third more expensive than beef, um, with 19 ingredients. So what in what, what on earth are in these things? <laughs> well, uh, again, varies from company to company, and some will be simpler. But the one we chose, <laughs> yeah, they're they're extracts of protein, so um, pea various kinds of pea proteins, rice protein, um, this one has some mung bean protein in it, and then the, the those are extracts from the plant. It's not ground up peas, because mm. if you make that, you have falafel, which mm. can be delicious. Mm. Um, these are these are chemical extracts of them. And then you need to, uh, to those protein, raw protein sources, you need to add some sort of fat to them. And so they choose a cross-section of oils, and this one uses canola oil, which is a kind of rapeseed, very mm. common, um, and coconut oil um, in order to give a balance both of fatty acid profile and of textural and flavor things. Okay. And then there's there's all manner of other kinds of uh, nutritional additions in order to make sure it has some iron and zinc in it because there's not much in the raw materials. Um, it, plenty of salt is added um, in order to make it palatable. Um, and then a few food tech things that help as binders to hold it together if it's making a burger, say. Mm. Um, it, so, can this I mean, product claim to be sorry? Uh, can this product claim to be a claim to be a natural product? Oh heavens, no, no. They um, that that's a weird conundrum that I I don't understand. But it's it's kind of a a balance in all consumers' mind about the reasons they want to have a non-meat alternative versus their love of natural 
minimally processed, um, low ingredient numbers. So it's, it's strangely these these things have caught fire. That is strange because you're talking contrary to naturalness. Yeah. So here we're talking about this particular product. It's got 18 ingredients, highly modified and essentially put together in a factory. And goodness knows where Um, it couldn't be further from a natural product if it tried. (laughs) I I need to be balanced in my view, but all that you say is true. Um, They are their their value proposition Mm, is mm, different. It's about non-meatness and yeah. about environmental footprint and and um, life cycle analysis and modern even even modernness the the trendiness of being in a modern way um, that's that's what they promote mm. what troubles me that the thing that I can feel strongly about and and dismissive of them is how they try to equate to meats with yes simple simple-minded messaging if you look at the front of the packs of most of these things they will say a serving contains 20 grams of protein mm. yeah, or are uh, no unsaturated fats or, or whatever simple things like that but what we see and it's easy to see with in-depth analysis is that the profile of that protein and of those fats could not be more different mm. from real meat mm. and so yes they they like to call it equivalent in protein but only at the most crude definition of protein you dig deeper and they're not the same at all so what does that implications does that have for digestion and for long-term health for um allergy potential mm. that's mm. not delved into okay. so uh, part of the thing with that's part of what we wanted to look at in this i mean we're, New Zealand doesn't have an industry very much in this area, though mm. there's a lot of interest in it. But we're really interested in the meat side rather than the alternative. I'm, an, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to diss the, yes, the emerging proteins. Yes. <laughs> so. yes, and actually, nor am I. I'm just interested to get a better understanding mm. of, of, of the composition of them, how they're produced. So that was really all I was really interested in myself. But... Um, are there any let me let me throw in lastly that the take home is that the composition of those is whatever they want it to be well that um quite literally so they uh, next year the compositions will be a little bit different um the brand we use is already on its mark II version in between when we started this study and where we are now well that uh installs zero confidence in me i can assure you of that um <laughs> in terms of a product on a shelf um <laughs> in terms of specific outcomes in this research, are there any specific outcomes you're looking for? Well, uh, because it, it, has, it's, it varies from the objective, since there's four objectives on mm, these things. Okay. Um, ultimately, it's an exploration mm-hmm. because this, these topics haven't been looked at um, from a compositional point of view in depth as we're able to now. The, the work on meat composition was done years ago before the, the lab technologies could have us look more closely. And so that will open up a whole different range of research as, you, as we discover what's meat, what's meat really made of. Mm. Um, I, on the, the um, clinical trial fronts, understanding how people respond to a normal dose, if I can use the word dose, of meat in a meal 
is novel. The you'd be surprised, but in the uh, there's a lot of meat eating research out there, mm. but in most clinical trials, the vast majority of them, they are feeding whacking big hunks of meat. Um, mm. in order to uh, partly to hedge their bets so they get a response. These some of these things are very subtle to measure, um, but the the research results reflect large intakes of meat, which don't match um, WHO and uh, Ministry of Health and other kinds of global recommendations for meat intake, which is roughly uh, currently 350 to 500 grams cooked weight per week. Um, so the, the results that are out there are an artificial system. We wanted to do see some results that are what really happens when you eat normal amounts. Mm. So that's a big part of it. It's very interesting work that you're doing. And I feel that this may provide the evidence New Zealand farmers need ultimately. Um, you know, farmers being able to differentiate ourselves here in New Zealand in the global market space. Mm. And of course, showcasing our sustainability and potentially increase farm gate returns, which is a high priority certainly, uh, for me. I believe New Zealand farmers deserve and need a paradigm shift in farm gate returns. Oh, um, I, I couldn't agree more. You got to, if we learn cool and important things about meat that makes a difference in how desirable it is, that is, I don't know, it's a, it's a hollow victory unless it, the value chain takes it back to the farm gate. Mm. Because if we can prove that, yes, indeed, our product is superior on different levels in the market, then I believe we should be asking, because we can only feed 50 million people, right? Mm. So. I believe we should be asking a greater amount per kilogram of meat sold in this country um, and move away from the commodity-based uh, system um, because I believe our farmers have earned more than they're oh. getting. Oh, my God, heavens. You're preaching to the choir here. I mean, we have a, a world-class product that is always desirable and no matter how the world turns in the next generation is still going to be a premium product demanded by more people around the world than we can ever supply mm. um so yes if that means if, if in order to to maintain our farming systems here and keep them sustainable and to pay our farmers what they need that we need to charge more for it well yes it's a premium product let's treat it like that way mm. um, and <laughs> And this research that you're doing may show just how different and just how much better products we produce here in a pasture-based system are over, for example, grain-fed products or grain-fed um, uh, proteins. Some, I, 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 meat is still meat. Yep. I mean, there, there are more things in common between those two farming cows on or cattle on those two farming systems that there are differences between mm, them. Mm. So, uh, a, a bit of uh, realism in that sense. Mm. Um, it the differences can be subtle, but but um, product differentiation has been made on less. Uh, one of the things we want to do, regardless of the grain or grass difference, is to promote the overall quality and value and desirability of well-produced meat. Mm. I mean, we we don't need to to uh, compete against our northern neighbors in a fight to just make maintain meat being relevant in the world. Mm, mm. That that's that's a collaborative activity. It shouldn't be a competitive one. Mm. And what I think we're going to show in the, particularly in, in the longer term study where we're looking at well-being um, assessments in so many ways is that um, a, a 
balanced diet, including meat, makes you feel better, makes you happier, um, makes it easier to follow a balanced diet in a sense in, in your everyday living than a more contrived diet whether that's strictly vegetarian or, or uh, vegetarian with, with alternate meats added um, I think we should be promoting the value of good quality beef and lamb almost no matter how it's raised Indeed, look it's been fascinating chatting to you Scott and um, I thank you very much for your time Oh no, That's great fun I, I, I'm passionate about this this topic and um i i want us to be able to in uh, in the sciences to be able to make a difference to the farmers and to the country as a whole so i I think this is the kind of study um supported by mia and beef and lamb and the rest that really can do that whilst there is more work to be done in this research and i'm looking forward to talking with other researchers who are part of the program what i've found interesting so far is that there are clear benefits of pasture-raised lamb and beef over grain-fed systems at a composition level, particularly around fats and fatty acids. I've said this many, many times, but New Zealand's primary industry is a dynamic environment right now, and there are some great things happening at a research and technology level, and environmental and engagement action is encouraging. There is no better place I would like to see the benefit of this work ultimately end up which is stronger returns at the farm gate that's all from me this week thank you for listening and catch you next time